0: Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Horton, Chair of the Guidelines Committee for the Infectious Disease Society of America. I would like to welcome you to the Clinical Guidelines podcast series, where we will regularly keep you up to date on important new guidelines published by the Infectious Disease Society of America. Leading this program is Dr. Neil Skolnick, who is Professor of Family Medicine at Temple University School of Medicine and Associate Director of the Family Medicine Residency Program at Abington Memorial Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Skolnick. Thank you. I'm looking forward to going over the guidelines.
1: And now for the program.
0: Today, we're going to look at the IDSA Clinical Practice Guideline for Acute Bacterial Rhinosinusitis in Children and Adults, It was published online at the Infectious Disease Society of America's website at idsociety.org in March of this year and is published in print in the April 15th edition of Clinical Infectious Diseases. This topic is important because approximately 13% of all adults are diagnosed with rhinosinusitis annually. In the guideline, it's clear that the term rhinosinusitis is used interchangeably with the term sinusitis. Most rhinosinusitis, 90 to 98 percent, is viral, with only 2 to 10 percent being bacterial. So it's important to distinguish between viral and bacterial etiologies of the disease. A recent national survey of antibiotic prescriptions for URIs in the outpatient setting showed that antibiotics were prescribed for over 80% of adults with sinusitis, despite the fact that the vast majority of these infections are viral. Therefore, it's important for clinicians to understand how to distinguish between viral and bacterial etiologies of disease. Uh, this is one of the important emphases of the guidelines. In addition, there have been significant changes in resistance patterns of bacterial sinus infections, leading to important changes that we're going to talk about in the recommendations as to what antibiotics to use as first and as second-line agents to treat sinus infections. Joining us today is the chair of the Rhinosinusitis Guidelines Committee, Dr. Anthony Chow. Dr. Chow is professor emeritus, Division of Infectious Diseases, Department of Medicine, University of British Columbia and Vancouver Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Chow.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: What's, let me ask you our first question. What is the best way for clinicians to distinguish between bacterial and viral sinusitis?
1: Well, diagnosing um, acute bacterial sinusitis is is a two- step process. Obviously, the first step is to determine that the sinus is involved based on classical sinus symptoms. But a more difficult task is to differentiate bacterial versus uh, viral causes. Um, and uh, the, the the difficulty is that there, there's no simple um, tool to, to do that well other than Sticking a needle into the sinus cavity, which obviously is not practical uh for uh, uh for daily practice so um the uh, recommendations uh from the i d s a are based on um, the observations related to the natural history of uh viral sinusitis excellent work uh, by uh, uh Jack waney and others um and showing that uh, there are really three patterns, uh, clinical patterns, uh, based on the signs and symptoms and progression of disease that uh, are dramatically different from what virus sinusitis' natural history uh, would be. And so the three um, uh, criteria, if you will, are either, firstly, persistent symptoms uh, greater than um, 10 days, But more importantly, the symptoms are worsening, or at least not improving. That's because with viral sinusitis, even though the symptoms may last longer than seven to ten days, um, by and large, their symptoms are already improving. Bacterial sinusitis can continue and and continue to worsen. The second uh, criteria would be obviously severe um, symptoms as indicated by high fevers accompanied by either Purulent nasal discharge uh, or facial uh, pain, and that lasts at least three to four days at the onset of the illness. Again, this is different from viral, where um, even though um, a fever is very uncommon, but if you do have it, it usually is gone within 24-48 hours. Uh, but if the symptoms are severe and persist, uh, then um, we certainly do not wait till. Um, the 10-day, uh, criteria to initiate antibiotic therapy. The final one is the classical double sickling, which is a classical situation when, uh, a secondary bacterial infection occurs, um, in, uh, anti- uh pre- preceded by a viral infection. So patients would be, um, have respiratory symptoms, suggestive sinusitis, uh, actually appear to be improving by five to six days and only to be followed by worsening of symptoms, so-called double-sickening. And so any one of these three um, clinical scenario would be suggestive, uh, more likely of a bacterial rather than viral infection, and therefore uh, initiating a pure antibiotic therapy would be warranted uh, in those instances.
0: That's great. So it's pretty clear that we ought to make the uh, distinction based on uh, clinical presentation. Is there any role for X-rays or CAT scans of the sinuses?
1: No. For uncomplicated, uh sinusitis, uh, X-rays really don't help, uh, help in the CT or even other uh, imaging techniques. That's because um, the X—the main value of the X-rays to, is to tell you that the sinus is involved, um, uh, but it doesn't tell you whether it's bacterial or viral. So you know the sign is involved pretty much based on clinical presentation, presentations, classical signs and symptoms. So you don't need the x-rays. Um, however, imaging studies become important if you are worried about complications, particularly separative complications, where you're worried about orbital involvement and extension of the infection beyond the sinus cavity, and that's when uh, H-rays, particularly CT and MRIs, would become very useful.
0: That's a great point. So we've covered diagnosis of bacterial sinusitis. Let's now go on to treatment. What are the recommended first-line uh, antibiotics for treatment of uh, acute bacterial sinusitis?
1: Well, uh, this is where I think our IDSA guideline has, uh, deviated, uh, from the traditional, uh, previous, uh, guidelines on bactericidal. sinusitis. IDSA now recommends, uh, using combination amoxicillin clavroenate instead of amoxicillin alone as first line therapy. Now, the, uh, um, this is, uh, There's still quite a bit of discussion regarding this. Of course, by adding clovulonate, it it adds to the uh, cost uh, of treatment. Um, However, um, IDSA uh, panel feels that this is warranted because because of two things. Uh, One is the changing... Uh, microbiology in bacteria sinusitis, namely the haemophilus influenzae now is becoming more prevalent uh, or at least equally prevalent as strep pneumo. Uh, this is in contrast to previous years where strep pneumo was the predominant pathogen followed by H. flu. The reason that H. flu is becoming more important and strep pneumo um, rate is declining is is partially because of the pneumococcal vaccines that have been routinely um, implemented now and since the uh, the new pneumococcal vaccines um, one finds that 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 the uh, incidence of pneumo is decreasing, which is great, but the h flu rate is increasing secondly among the h influenza isolates um, uh, resistance is is increasing, um, and specifically, the beta-lactamase producing uh, HFU is, is rising, so much so that roughly 30 to 40 percent of recent HFU isolates now uh, produce beta-lactamase, and that's why the clavulanate is added in order to inhibit the uh, uh, production of beta-lactamase.
0: That's that's a real change from previous recommendations uh, using amoxicillin alone. Now, when we talk about using amoxicillin clavulanate, is there a place for, as we've seen with uh otitis media, is there a place for high dose amoxicillin clavulanate?
1: Now, before going to the high dose, I, I I want to just elaborate a little bit more about the choice of amoxicillin clavulanate versus uh, amoxicillin. I think. If you look at other uh, and previous guidelines, um, the emphasis was uh relying on data from randomized clinical trials. That's of course the the uh, the basis for most evidence based uh, guidelines. That's 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 uh, what's desirable. Unfortunately, in the case of uh clinical trials for sinusitis, because it's so difficult to differentiate bacterial from viral infection to begin with. If you look at those trials, um, there is, um, in many instances, uh, it included viral sinusitis. This is because uh, sinus punctures were not performed and they simply rely on X-rays, which we said before was not reliable differentiating bacterial from viral. So under those circumstances, when you include a lot of viral causes of sinusitis in your trial, it is not surprising that you, you you could not find a difference between the uh, uh, amoxicillin alone versus amoxicillin alone. But we, we think this is an artifact because of the, the the poor patient selection criteria in the previously randomized trials. So we need uh, more uh, studies with better defined. Uh, patient selection criteria, particularly focusing on those who are more likely to have bacteria rather than virus sinusitis and to determine what the best empiric therapy should be. When should one consider high-dose amoxicillin clavuline? uh By high-dose, we uh, mean the uh, um, almost double the dose of amoxicillin, which would be two grams uh, um Orally um, per day in BID uh, dosing, uh, but keeping the dose of clavulanic the same, which is 125 milligrams uh, uh, BID um, in adults. So the uh, so the, the reason for, for using high dose is really to overcome uh, penicillin resistance among Um and uh this uh um the rates of penicillin uh, resistance or non susceptible so called non penicillin susceptible abnormal varies uh, a great deal from region to to region so um um the panel feels that uh, high dose of clonate would be indicated in uh, uh in in two three types of situations firstly if if you live in an area where you know the endemic rates of, uh, non-penicillin susceptibility rate is high, uh, namely greater than 10% uh, of isolates uh, are, are resistant, then going to high dose, uh, pen- amoxicillin would, would be reasonable. The second uh, scenario would be if a um, patient is very sick, uh, with uh, high fevers and uh, systemic toxicity and you're really concerned about major uh, separative complications, uh, there um, you uh, need to consider a presence of resistant pathogens and uh, going straight to high dose moxiclorolan would be reasonable under that circumstance. And the third uh, uh, situation would be if, if in the patient, you can identify um, risks for antibody resistance. So in the very young, less than two years of age, in the older um, population, 65 or over, uh, in children in daycare, um, in immunocompromised patients, patients with prior antibody exposure or recent hospitalization, these would be situations where um, one would be concerned about um, antibody resistance and might consider going to a high dose amoxicillin clavulanate otherwise the high dose is usually reserved for um treatment failure uh um, with first line therapy with uh, simply the regular uh, amoxicillin clavulanate
0: That's a great point now if patients have a penicillin allergy what's the recommended alternative treatment let's start with adults
1: Okay. Well, you know, in the past, we the, the guidelines recommend usually recommend macrolides or, or TMP-SMX. Um, unfortunately, because of uh, increasing resistance uh, to, particularly the macrolides among strep pneumo, and uh, also uh, 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 bo- among both strep pneumo and H flu against uh, trimethoprim uh, or that uh, those, are, those agents are no longer recommended um, uh, in acute, as empiric therapy for acute bacterial um, sinusitis. So in adults, um, the uh, recommendation is uh, either doxycycline, which uh, uh, has remained uh, very active against uh, respiratory pathogens um, and has excellent uh, PKPD properties um and so um it's 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 cheaper than the fluocrinolones, um and so it is recommended uh, for patients with penicillin allergy in adults obviously it's not uh suitable for children because of uh, concerns of uh staining of teeth and so forth uh The other alternative would be the the uh, which uh, certainly are very active, but one is concerned about um Increasing resistance uh, if it's overused, and, and uh, how about for children?
0: Other,
1: yeah, for children, um, it, children um, for children with uh, with skin rash, but it's it's not uh, the immediate type of penicillin allergy. Um, one could use an oral cephalosporin such as uh, cefixime or cefpodoxime. Plus clindamycin to overcome the uh, uh, resistance among uh, streptococci. Um, but in patients who have uh, true uh, immediate-type uh, hypersensitivity, then uh, levoquin is recommended. And again, this is um, this deviates from previous guidelines um, mainly because of safety concerns, uh, but. Uh, Um, Recent studies, um, particularly there have been two large prospective uh, studies uh, showing the safety of fluquinolones in children. And so for that reason, it is recommended that in children who will have true uh, immediate type hypersensitivity to penicillin, where you don't have other suitable alternative agents, then Levoquin um, would be recommended in those patients.
0: Thanks. Now, you've talked about the changing resistance patterns. Um, if a patient doesn't respond to first-line therapy, uh, what are the recommended second-line treatments now?
1: Well, you know, if a patient doesn't respond, I, you know, I mean the... The first thing is still to think, why is the patient not responding? Maybe the diagnosis is wrong. Maybe there are some anatomical issues that need to be uh, corrected. Um, And uh, um, and maybe there's antibody resistance. So so I think those issues should be considered uh, first rather than um, a knee-jerk reaction of switching antibody therapy however, I think if one were to think about second line um, then um one needs to consider the uh the the um, clinical uh situation uh that perhaps may account for treatment failure so if antibiotic um, resistance is the issue, then one could use high dose of muscle uh, or one could uh, go to fluquinolones uh, as mentioned before um, if uh the patient has penicillin allergy again we discussed the alternative agents um, if the patient is really sick and requires hospitalization and again the regimens are uh primarily those that uh, are active against um the respiratory pathogens, including resistant ones, and can be given intravenously. So ampersand subactam, um, septriaxone, uh, and, uh, all the fluoquinolones would be, um, considerations.
0: So th- this is really helpful because these are, um, radically different recommendations from what I think people have become used to doing uh, for second-line therapy. And it really seems like uh, macrolides, as well as trimethoprin sulfa, is really not recommended uh, anymore as second-line therapy due to the increasing resistance. How so about... Uh, I
1: was just gonna say, I think it's important to emphasize this. Uh, and this is mainly because of the dramatic uh, increase in resistance rate among um, uh, strep pneumo to the macrolides, and so much so now that it's approaching 30%. And uh, what's even more important is directly uh, the, the resistance rate is directly related to uh, utilization rate. So the more you use it, the more resistant there is, and furthermore, there's cross-resistance among uh, strep pneumo to macrolides the penicillin and the TMP, SMX, anticephalus form. So uh, for that reason, we we really strongly recommend against uh using macrolides and no, or TMPS. Yes. Those mm-hmm. are
0: important changes for people to be made aware of. Thank you. Uh let's right. move on to adjunctive therapy and specifically the place of nasal saline irrigation first and then intranasal steroids in treatment of sinusitis
1: hmm Well, the intranasal uh, saline irrigation. I mean, it's um, there's there's been Cochrane reviews on the topic, and I think the general consensus is that overall, one can demonstrate some benefit, although there are, you know, not huge uh, benefits um, uh, when in combination with antibody therapy. But nevertheless. Uh, since it's well tolerated in adults, and uh, in some instances potentially may uh, shorten the duration of antibiotic therapy, that it's it seems to be uh, warranted. Now, the, however, of course, uh, uh, putting saline solutions in the noses of children may not be very well tolerated, and so it's, it's not that useful in children uh intranasal steroids um, again has been well studied particularly in patients who have uh, a history of uh allergies with particularly allergic rhinitis uh where the uh, steroids have shown to have uh, benefit uh when used in combination with um, uh, antibiotics so uh particularly those who have a history of um an allergy, asthma, and so forth. Uh, Intranasal steroids are uh, recommended.
0: Okay, and then my uh, my last question for you is: uh, When would you look to refer a patient uh, with sinusitis?
1: Well, uh, the uh, obviously the patient failed, anti-therapy, uh, particularly with uh, uh, second line uh, agents. Um, if the patient is um, very sick with systemic toxicity, particularly if there are visual disturbances and uh, uh, or have severe headaches and you're worried about uh, ocular or intracranial extension of infection, these are life-threatening complications and uh, um, referral to uh, specialists would be uh, crucial. Uh, another um, reason would be if the patients have recurrent uh, sinusitis, you know, three or four episodes a year, um, and this would speak to some other lying um, process going on that need to be further uh, investigated. So um, these would be the uh, main reasons for uh, referring.
0: Thank you so we 've really covered a lot of ground. Let me uh bring some of this information together and summarize it uh, one uh, a key. Uh, thing that the guidelines uh, emphasize is differentiating between viral and bacterial sinus infections using clinical features. And those three clinical features are not improving for more than 10 days, an onset of severe symptoms lasting at least three to four days, or worsening of symptoms after initial, initial improvement. What you talked about is the double sickening. The other thing that the guidelines uh have done that are uh, an important change from previous recommendations is a change in recommendations for first-line therapies, specifically recommending amoxicillin clavulanate as first-line therapy, and then similarly, a change in second-line treatment. For adults, second-line treatment can be either a respiratory fluoroquinolone, doxycycline, or high-dose amoxicillin clavulanate or for children uh with type 1 hypersensitivity reactions a respiratory fluoroquinolone can be used or for those with non type 1 hypersensitivity allergies a combination of clindamycin plus a third generation oral cephalosporin uh Dr. Chow, thank you so much for joining us for uh this IDSA podcast thank you It's a pleasure